And welcome to another Roots of Faith podcast. I'm your host, Wesley, as always. I pray that uh, for all of my Messianic friends who are out there enjoying Sukkot, that as we wrap up this beautiful and wonderful celebration, one of my personal favorites, that you have had a great last six nights as we're getting ready to end the uh, feasts on the Lord's calendar. And today I just want to kind of jump back into something that I have been trying to do since last Sukkot, which was get into a, a series on understanding the church and our history. Uh, what does this mean for believers in Jesus? Uh, as believers, you know, we have been out we have a very rich history. Uh, there's so much confusion, I believe, in understanding of how the church is actually connected within our Judeo-Christian roots. So, we're going to be going through... Hmm, originally, I was going to try to hit the first 1,500 years today. Uh, as I got to geek out and just the wealth of knowledge that I was encountering... I just could not come to terms with this is all that we can cover so I'm going to end up taking this probably most of the month of October right up till Reformation Day so uh, I hope you guys are ready for a fire hydrant of knowledge as we're going to be looking at the church and how we as believers should not only view it, but how we can understand our history and where we came from as a group of people committed to Jesus our Messiah. So, depending on your view of the church, uh, whether you take a covenantal and grafted or grafted view, or if you're more of a dispensational apostolic view of how that we got the church, is going to kind of shape the lens you're going to look at your church history. Uh, for everyone, I do know we can believe we have both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament together as one, and those are all important to us as Christians, no matter how you see the church, whether it starts with God's people chosen at creation in Sinai, or if you believe it starts on the day of Pentecost, or when Jesus called his 12 disciples. There's several views out there. We won't have time tonight to go into that. Uh, I do plan on eventually doing a series on the different lenses. In fact, I've already worked up the apostolic lens and have done an entire video just on that that I hopefully will be putting out here uh, in the near future. I hope everyone on uh, listening out there gets into the chat room. I look forward to hearing from anyone with things on how you think uh, this series is going on how or you know things you'd like for us just to look at and talk about 
So feel free to post in the comments here, both on uh, whether on Spreaker or on the Facebook live chat here. So there are four views that I will talk about as far as you know how the lens of the church history there. There's the apostolic view. Now this view has Jesus establishing the church with the apostles. Uh, it's traditionally a, a Episcopal styled church view of a priesthood. Uh, things are uh, denominations such as the Catholic, Orthodox, and others hold on to this view as one that is, you know, Christ established and then passed down the the authority of the church to his apostles, and in turn they pass that down. Uh, of course, on the con flip side of that is the dispensational view. We'd say church begins on Pentecost. Uh, you have the covenant view where uh, that stretches all through history under the covenant of grace that we are in. And then there's the grafted theology or messianic view. With this one, the focus is on Israel through everything with Gentiles being grafted in and given equal rights and shares and equal duties in obeying the Torah. Of course, this does also add to the flip side of covenant theology, which is more of a replacement theology. So if you guys are ready, we're going to run right through the entire uh, Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. And I'm going to kind of just give you the summary of the, that entire understanding on how this affects us as Judeo-Christian believers. So if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the earth without form and void, you know all that, Genesis 1. So the book of Genesis, you know, it goes through, you have Adam and Eve, they sin, they have children, Cain kills Abel, they have Seth, we track from the line of Seth, it's actually, the Bible is very much a book that puts us into, oh hey, here's uh, this idea of here's this family, so you now, we're going to follow through their genealogies there. We go, we get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after, who descend from Noah and his son, one of his three sons that come off the, the ark. They, we follow them to this people called Israel who go into the, who go into Egypt. They're say, being saved by the son Joseph, who he becomes second in command. Eventually, Pharaoh forgets who Joseph is. They become slaves. God frees them from slavery brings them to Mount Sinai and makes a covenant with them. They're given the promised land. We watch judges and kings and prophets govern over this these people. Then they go into exile because they completely disobey God. They have no desire to follow him. They are eventually returned back into the promised land. And then we get to the New Testament or the New or Renewed Covenant and we get these four Gospels where this Jesus movement, this guy, this carpenter from Nazareth who's a rabbi, goes through and proclaims this good news of salvation that has come to all the earth. We have these apostles who go forth after his death 
and resurrection and ascension, speaking the good news of hey, everything we've been told about a coming Messiah, it's happened. Now it's time for us to go forth to speak and preach the name of God and to bring everyone to this wonderful knowledge because we're getting ready for when he comes back. You know, that message hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So then we have these apostles who go forth throughout setting and preaching the word of God to all people throughout all nations. There's this huge controversy of do they have to become Jews first? Is these promises only to Israel or are they given to us today? And so they go through these uh, these beliefs. They go through. They have a whole council meeting on this. They discuss. Okay, so in order for these Gentiles to come and commune with us, there's some you know associable ground rules that we just have to establish just because of the cultural differences here. And so we go forth. We tell them. Okay, hey. You guys got to do this, this, and this in order to associate. And then as you come to synagogue and everything, you're going to learn more about the Torah and you're going to grow deeper in faith there. So then we get to the post-apostolic portions. And that's where we're really going to sink our teeth in today. So the first century is kind of a, the Judeo-sector the way. But then as the second through fourth century go... We get a Judeo-Gentile mix there. There's a lot of struggle with culture between Jews and Gentiles. You read through it out the entire New Testament. Uh, in fact, after 70 AD, which uh, we can call put this on the church under the heathen empire, the Jerusalem temple is completely destroyed. Uh, but prior to that, you know, Gentiles and Jews were worshiping together in the temple. But then there was, as we read in Acts, the Sanhedrin were not excited about this Yeshua Jesus movement. They were trying to force Christians out. In fact, there's the Berket Hamamin, which was a part of the synagogue prayers that they put in, which... In the original prayer, it's been updated since, but Jew, but believers in Yeshua would call a curse upon themselves in when they would pray this prayer because it would call curses upon anyone who was a, good word for it, pretty much a blasphemer, people going away from the orthodox understanding of Judaism, and then during the Simon Bar Kokbar revolt, in which the Sanhedrin backed a man by the name of Simon, who had his claim as being the Messiah, to go forth and to say, Oh, hey, well, now I am going to go forth and say, I am the Messiah, and we are going to lead the revolt against Rome, and now I am going to restore Israel back to its place. So this is kind of where we have the Jew-Gentile rift certainly increase uh, before, you know, the church now is kind of becoming completely Gentile now. So during 70 AD to 324, there was immense persecution. 
64 AD, we have the worst of the worst, Nero, who takes over as the emperor. This was a man who blamed the Christians for all his problems. He lit their bodies on fire to light his gardens at night. I mean, just the horrible things you can read about how Nero governed. And then you have Peter and Paul, who were both, as First Clement would tell us, and this is where we get the traditions of Paul being beheaded and Peter being crucified upside down. We have their martyrdom. And then his successor, uh, Dominician, in 81 through 96, who ruled, we, especially during the time of John's exile, he really kind of followed suit and even vamped up how horrible the persecution of the Jew, of the Christian believers was. Uh, the post-apostolic age, well, we can cite that around 100 A.D., when division really kind of came in there. Uh, many leaders who kind of helped this new Jesus movement move forward would have been Clement of Rome, Barnabas, Ignatius, Polycarp, Papias, and Hermas. Now, of course, this Barnabas is not the same Barnabas we lead about in the book of Acts. This was actually a, the Barnabas who wrote the epistle of Barnabas there. So, other things that really came out of this would have been the Didache, which is probably the oldest uh, liturgies we have today for church believers, and how the church started to structure communion and hymns, and how just a the liturgies of the church service post-synagogue and temple period just started to develop, which would eventually lead into the Roman Church and then other ch churches that would come out of that during the Reformation. This also would bring the lives of martyrs. Uh, we ha do have Pliny the Younger who argued to a Trojan on for, hey, uh, we need to have people who are going to become part of our church and we're going to allow that or these Christians we need to not be so hard we need to let them grow this is something good for Rome and so looks like on my speaker account I am about out of time so we'll pick this up in a second part if you bear with me here on the live video Uh, apparently, I can only do 15 minutes. And I'm just bringing up my. Uh, apparently, I can only do 15 minutes. And I'm just bringing up my new thing, and we're going to be right back live there. I guess this is what happens when you use the free version. 
of everything. I know. I guess it's a good thing I have nobody on right now watching. Okay, so welcome back to part two of this first part podcast of the history of the church. And uh, what did I call this one actually? This is the church and our history. Sorry, not history of the church. But so moving on, I kind of left picking up from where we just were. Uh, we were at the post-apostolic age here, where we were discussing uh, Pliny's arguments and call to the Roman Empire to kind of cease its heavy persecution on the Christian people. Uh, we talked a lot about some of the heads and a lot of you know the ways that Christianity started to grow in this post-temple movement. So moving from here, uh, Pliny's epistles uh, did give a little bit of relief to Christianity. Uh, what helped believers through this hard time was the primitive Christianity was marked by great scholastic enthusiasm, which traces of may be found in the New Testament. Uh, so, uh, one source I definitely recommend that I was pulling a lot of my information out of, and I'll have these in the comments as well here on the live chat and Facebook, is uh, Church History and uh, from Christianity Magazine, and then the Gutenberg Files has a great PDF. There's about a 900-page book on the history of the church which I'm pulling a lot of this information from, and I highly recommend giving it a read there. So, Joseph Cullen, who wrote this, writes about this era, saying that primitive Christianity was marked by a great shellistic enthusiasm, traces of which may be found in the New Testament. By chiasm, strictly speaking, is meant the belief that Christ was to return to earth and reign visibly for 1,000 years. That return was commonly placed in the immediate future. With that reign was connected the bodily resurrection of the saints. This belief in somewhat varying form was one of the great ethical motives in apostolic and post-apostolic times. So one thing that definitely came into play when the apostles took forth the gospel and still is part of today's Christianity is that, you know, Christ is coming back. He will have a reign with us. So we should all be preparing for his return. Uh, we need to proclaim and let everyone know 
hey, uh, this is important. We need to understand that Jesus came once and he's coming back again to set up his kingdom. And so they try to point everyone back to uh, Christ and coming into his kingdom. I mean, this is what this, the salvation message uh, boils down to. Hey, God created the world perfect. We screwed it up. He came back to restore it. Now it's time for us to, you know, prepare and bring back the world to how God originally intended as believers. We are, you know, the emissaries. Our goal is to be the, the voices of heaven to earth, to bring heaven down to earth and to tell people, hey, you know what? One day, everything's going to be fixed. And hey, it's time to get back to understanding the good news of Christ and not just let ourselves kind of live life however we want and, you know, do what I need to do to make everything better to, you know, hey, we are caretakers of the world. That was how it was established. Guys, let's get focused on not just, hey, you know what, you need Jesus so you go to heaven. But that, hey, this world is entrusted to us and we need to also, while we're here in this lifetime, be ushering in that kingdom living as people called to a kingdom greater than this earth. By the second century and the middle of the third century, core doctrines were being hammered out. Things such as the divinity and the trinity of God. Uh, Jesus being the incarnate God who fulfilled the prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures. There was no normal earnings of salvation before Christ. You know, you can't, no matter how good you were, your faith has always been from Adam to now in Messiah. Old Testament saints looked forward to his coming and us believers here in the 25th century down to... Uh, the apostolic times we looked back to his first coming there out of the much persecution and then the rise of saints coming up in uh, politics there was an age of consolidation of the church which lasted the 120, 112 to 124 years depending whether you want the division of the Roman Empire counted as one or Constantine's full control in 324. So when this consolidation happened, it led to a rapid increase. Uh, doctrine was able to be formed without major interference. Places like Alexandria grew in depth with the works of Clement of Alexandria and Origen. Councils were formed and universal beliefs were written for Christendom. Which brings us to the second division of ancient Christianity, and that is the church under the Christian Empire. Which, again, you can argue debating on the dates from 312 to 324 because Constantine took a. He held 
a law, the Roman part, but he was also at war for the whole of the Roman Empire. There was a division at that point in which uh, the, the, we're going to get into this a lot in the next section where we talk about how Constantine kind of used Christianity as his tool to restore the Roman Empire by appealing to Christian believers to take away from his uh, counterpart who was trying fighting him for control of Rome, especially in Britannia and Germania and on the eastern side of the world there. So an interesting thing just to kind of ponder is how Christianity comes out of this long persecution of believers saying we will throw our lives down and the entire state wanting nothing to do with this Christian movement, these believers of this Jesus who were rushing out to help people who were laying their lives down at every turn and wanted to just not bend their knee to Rome but say we exist for a better glory of a spiritual life. A very interesting comment made here is by the ascension of Constantine to the sole sovereignty of the Roman Empire in AD 324 ancient Christianity may be conveniently divided into two great periods. In the first it was a religion liable to persecution suffering severely at times and always struggling to maintain itself. In the second it became the religion of the state and its turn set about to repress and persecute the heathen religions. It was no longer without legal rights. It had the support of the secular rulers and was lavishly endowed with wealth. The conditions of the church in these two periods are so markedly different and the condition had such a distinction effect upon life and growth of the Christian religion the, the religion of Constantine is universally recognized as marking a transition from one historical period to another. Although no date would show mark that the transition is universally accepted, the year 311, the year in which Diocletian's persecution ceased, has been accepted by many as the dividing point. The exact date adopted is immaterial. And this comes again from Joseph Cullen Ayer Jr. PhD on the Project Gutenberg ebook of a book of, for ancient Christianity. Again, highly recommend that read. Uh, there's some other sources I'm going to be pulling in for in the next uh, couple discussions here. But as I get ready to leave you, I pray that Yahweh blesses and keeps you, that He makes His face shine upon you and gives you perfect peace and may your Sukkot be blessed and I look forward to seeing you guys again Shalom
uh, yes, I gotta keep 